Good morning, folks. This is Chopping It Up with CJ. I'm your host, Chris James. This is Week Side Wednesdays, episode three of the pod. And this is a lovely Wednesday morning. You know, we got some good football in. First week of the NFL season cracked up. College football was in week two or week three if you count week zero. I don't know how they're doing that. But again, the focus of today's show and every Week Side Wednesday is recapping and recounting what happened on the weekend in the NFL. I'm going to go game by game, address certain things, including coming back on some of the betting odds. I'll be kind of quick with that uh, and final score. But I just want to kind of recap the game. Some of the stuff I'm going to go really in-depth into. uh, Others I'm not. And part of that is because, go ahead and be honest, I've at least seen the highlights of each game um, in different places. And I don't mean like the highlights, like, two seconds. I mean, the, the the 10 to 15 minute highlights that are put together of all the big plays. And some, I tried to watch, you know, the full game. Some, I got to watch the full game unencumbered, like the Monday night game or the Sunday night game, that type of thing. Some, because there's a lot of games on the slate, I had to focus on one and kind of go back and forth between the other ones. So I have more to say about some games than the other ones. And how I'm going to do this is I'm going to go in reverse order, again, addressing every particular game. And then if I have any notes or closing thoughts, I will give them to you. So without further ado, I'm going to go in reverse order and I'm going to start with the Monday night football game. So the Ravens traveled to Las Vegas and played against the Raiders. You know, some of the things that I said they really needed to do in this game, the X factors are keys to victory. I said for the Raiders, they must take deep shots. Guess what? They did. I was actually proud of the fact that they took advantage of the fact that they have some speedy receivers and there's some injuries in the secondary for the Ravens. Ravens, I say open things up for Lamar. And to some extent, they did early. But to be honest, in the second half, same old, same old. Offense coordinator really couldn't get it done. And I'm going to get into that in a second. So what ended up happening? I thought the Ravens would win this one. The Raiders pulled it off and congrats to them. Um, 33 to 27. So that's a six-point spread. I had the Ravens uh, covering the spread, and early on, I looked like I was being a genius on that one because I had a lot of confidence in it, but I really did like the over of 50.5. and ended up being a, an over at 60 points, so hopefully you took that and got yourself some bread. So to get into a recap of the game, first and foremost, I'd like to apologize to the Raiders' defense, specifically the defensive line. You know, from what I did see in the preseason, I didn't see as much of an active front as I did here. Um, maybe they were holding some things back because they knew the season was coming and they're like, okay, let's just, uh, you know, play whatever. But they were dominant, especially in the second half. And they took advantage of Charlie Villanueva, uh, Alejandro Villanueva, old school Charlie Villanueva, Alejandro Villanueva to the point where honestly, the Ravens have to immediately address that. But, uh, they did their job and Max Crosby was a beast. Now I want to go ahead and get down to brass tacks, the elephant in the room here. It's the Ravens passing game, but not in the way that some have been spinning it. Not all, but just some. Some people get it. Some people don't. You know, I've heard that people, and I want to start with the Monday Night Football crew, kind of proud of Brian Greasy or uh, of uh, Greasy because what he was saying was, hey, you know, this looks this way. This looks that way. Kind of. Same thing with Steve Young, except a little more. Steve Young clearly has faith in Lamar Jackson because Steve Young can relate to Lamar Jackson. Booker McFarlane, I remember you from when you were in Tampa on radio. Maybe some people aren't built for certain things. I'm going to leave it there. So, getting to the passing game. Um, 
people are blaming the weapons and saying they don't have enough weapons. And to some extent, I get it, but it was injury laden. What I think is that they're just not healthy. They have an inability to stay healthy. They brought in a receiver that has classically not been able to stay healthy in Sammy Watkins. So I, don't, I think that's a contributor, but I don't think it's a big portion. Some are blaming Lamar's lack of ability to consistently pass. And you're just playing wrong. And it clearly shows me that as much as you all have talked about him passing for years, you clearly didn't watch Louisville and did not watch him. And the people who I'm really mad at about this are the analysts who get paid money to assess this, who clearly didn't grind the film. They just watched some highlights and realized they're mediocre at assessing because this dude could throw the ball and you saw the progression as it went forward. Especially those media members who love Josh Allen because go watch his Wyoming tape. Horrifying as a passer. So anyway, what's the real blame for the issues with the Ravens passing game? Call a spade a spade here. It's Greg Roman. Look, Greg Roman's clearly an intelligent football mind. You saw what he's been able to do from a run game perspective. But it's almost as if this dude just read a book on how to design pass plays. He had no counterpunch when the Raiders adjusted from running that three to a two. None. It would almost looked like he was like, okay, Lamar, just go win it for me because I, I, I didn't study. And that's unacceptable. You had a whole offseason, a whole offseason to get ready for this. And then provide this young man with the tools to be able to do stuff. And honestly, I didn't see it. You got to have a counterpunch. Got to have multiple counterpunches. Otherwise, you're going to get knocked out. As far as the, the, the receiving group. Here's where I'm going to say on the, the weapons around Lamar Jackson. I'm going to probably harp on this more than I should. There's some people who said the Saints, as an example, had the worst group in the league early on because they were unknown quantities. Okay, you know what Sean Payton did with those unknown quantities? They're starting to look like stars. They had a bunch of separation against the Packers. You know why? Because he schemes things open because he's a brilliant offensive mind. And I don't expect everyone to be Sean Payton, but I expect them to be competent in the passing game. That's what the NFL is now. They've made the rules so that it benefits the receivers and the quarterbacks. So if you're behind the curb, maybe you need to take a step back. So there it is on that. I really need them to open it up. And by the way, stop using this man in the read option game and in condensed formats, especially having passing sets in condensed formats. Because what that does, unless you're going to actually use scrapes, you know, natural rubs, or use guys who have speed to kind of wheel around and get and expand that defense, all you're doing, and especially if you're designing it where there's curls at seven yards when you have a condensed set already, that's stupid. It's dumb. So, open things up. You can actually run empty with Lamar Jackson virtually the whole game. And here's how you can do it without him having to run. So, people say, well, you got to protect him. You can use two tight ends that are essentially making your line a seven-man line so that there's no gaps. And guess what they can do? They can free release. The Saints used this a lot back in the day. Know what else they can do? You can run the screen game with the tight end. Easy yards on first down and easy passes have been used for every quarterback, no matter if they're Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, anyone. And it seems like instead, they're trying to make Lamar Jackson's life hard because he can do it. And if I have one criticism of his game, it relates back to, as far as a passer, it relates back to what I said about Michael Jordan and those guys who are three-point shooters on his team. If you've never had to do something, why would you be good at doing it? Criticism of him not throwing that back shoulder fade where he just threw the ball away and he was like, okay, live to play another day. When has he ever had to? Because to be honest, once that happens, usually he can just take off and go get 10, 15, 20 yards. So 
that's some nuanced things where he'll have to learn how to do that. But if he's never had to do it because he's just been better than everyone else, why the hell would he be good at it? So anyway, I'm going to jump off the boat on this one. In this game, apologies to the Raiders. Apologies if you took that bet for the line because I thought the Ravens would win this one pretty handily. Um, you know, seven points, but handily as far as uh, things go. But definitely got you some money on the over-under. So I'm going to move on to the next game because this one honestly frustrates me because of all the stupidity I've been hearing about Lamar Jackson for so long. And it plays into something I'm going to probably have a closing thought on. So that's Sunday night game because we got a lot of games to recap. So let's jump on it. Um, the Rams... You know, they, they hosted the Bears and the Bears got mollywopped. I mean, I thought that the Bears would uh, lose by double digits, 27-16. Instead, it was 20 points. So the Rams easily covered that line. Part of the problem that I had with having you just take that line, so I had a five confidence point on it, was honestly, I thought at some point they'd say, hey, Justin Fields clearly can help us win. And then late, they put him in a game and he'd score some points and you might not cover. As far as the over-under, I said the under because I thought both teams would play tight, especially the Bears but I was proud of the Rams what did I say take deep shots early I said Tutu Atwell and Deshaun Jackson they did it to Van Jefferson I almost said Van Jefferson but you know what you know they did that you know what the Bears didn't do they didn't use their quarterbacks like an athlete at least they did with Fields but he was only on the, the field a couple of times in the game a handful of times in the game compared to Dalton they did not use Dalton like an athlete they kept him in the pocket did not try to get him out on the edge and give him easy throws so that's a game call, game planning issue from the coaching perspective. So what I saw is honestly, unless Justin Fields is just, unless he's dumber than he's ever shown me, I still blame the coaching staff. I blame Matt Nagy, period. You can't tell me that you don't know that this guy and the unpreparedness, all that stuff, and people will say he's trying to save him. I'm just going to say like this. Maybe he is trying to save him. And from a logical standpoint, I can get that. This guy has to save his job. So why wouldn't he put the better option out there? So he's trying to protect him. But there are things you can do. There are things you can do. So anyway, that's just me. I've never been an NFL coach. Don't plan on being an NFL coach or even a head coach at any level. But it just feels like I I, I hedge towards the coaching staff being the ones to not take advantage of this guy's talents. And again, maybe they're handling it the right way. Time will tell. So let's get to the 4 p.m. slate of games and get to a game where, honestly, I felt really good about this game. It played out virtually exactly how I thought it was going to play out, and that was the Kansas City Chiefs hosting the, the Cleveland Browns. I said for the Browns, don't play too tight. They didn't play tight. They came out and did their thing. They utilized a lot of different stuff. The run game was solid. I like, you know, doing the little reverse pass thing with Jarvis Landry. And I thought the Browns would get out to an early lead and the Chiefs would come back because that's what they do. And the Chiefs use the Browns' defensive speed against them, especially late in the game. So the final score prediction for me was 33-28. The final score was 33-29. I had the Browns losing but covering. And guess what? The Browns lost but covered. The over-under, I had the over on this one, 54.5. It came up at 62. So that as well. Honestly, I left this game thinking exactly what I thought about both teams. I think Cleveland has a 5% chance of beating the Chiefs in the playoffs. It reminds me of when, for some reason, Toronto, who always had a better team than Cleveland, especially some years when everyone left and the, 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 the Cavs made the finals, uh, the J.R. Smith runoff year against the Warriors, 
they had the better team, but they just couldn't get over the hump. I think mentally, Baker Mayfield won't get over the hump until he proves it to me. You can have hope if you want to, but he's put on film enough where late in games, he makes horrible decisions and choices that you all claim Jameis Winston makes all the time. And honestly, maybe it's because they they have a lot of similarities, but uh, whatever, one guy gets hope, the other one doesn't. So till I see Cleveland actually show up, till I see Baker Mayfield show up late in the game, they are who they are. A super talented team that's not going to go anywhere uh, that they want to like the Super Bowl. The Denver Broncos went to face the New York Giants. So in this one, this is what they did. They did not fall in love with the with the run game. That's what the Broncos did. I like that. They utilized those receivers. They realized that even though the Giants have a solid secondary, you can take advantage of some things because you have an underrated, underappreciated quarterback in Teddy Bridgewater. I've said this on pods in the past, and I've been mad about it because it's so disrespectful to watch you always give hope to guys like Daniel Jones on the other side of the ball. When Teddy Bridgewater, quiet as kept, has always been good. He's not a supermodel, which is what the NFL likes sometimes because they want to market guys at the quarterback position. Cool. Teddy out there doing work. He doesn't have the strongest arm, so he can win the shirt and short Olympics. Because honestly, some of you dudes just love watching dudes throw a ball far in shirt and shorts. It's impressive to you. But doesn't win you games. Teddy Bridgewater's always been a good quarterback. And he's pr- he proved it this week. And I think he's going to continue to prove it. So anyway, Daniel Jones actually didn't play terribly. He really didn't. The Giants on offense looked terrible, but he wasn't terrible. He just wasn't good. And Daniel Jones is Daniel Jones. I hope he shows up eventually, but I have not seen anything that's going to prove to me that Daniel Jones is ever going to show up. So y'all probably have to move on and draft another quarterback. For all you people who are mocking a quarterback to an NFC East team, you chose the wrong one. The Eagles don't need a quarterback. The Giants do. As far as the score and the betting odds and all that stuff, my prediction for the was the Broncos 27, Giants 17. The Broncos did have 27. The Giants only had 13 because of a late touchdown run by Daniel Jones. As far as the line, the line was way too close, and I said this. I'm like, look, this is my second most confident pick of the entire week. Three points for the Broncos, they're going to destroy them. The score might not be indicative of it, but the game will, and the game was. 14-point win by the Broncos. I had a 9 confidence out of 10 on that one. The only reason I couldn't put 10 on it, to be honest, is just because what happened with Daniel Jones is something that I thought might happen late. Maybe down by 10, runs in a touchdown that's meaningless with no time on the clock. As far as the over-under, my score prediction said the over, but I had virtually no confidence. I put a 5 on that. It was 41.5, and I hope you listened to me on this and took the didn't take it at all because it was 40. It was close, but you never know what's going to happen in these games. I did not feel comfortable with that spread, uh, that over-under, I should say. So we move on to the Dolphins at the Patriots. You know, in this one, I told the Dolphins, do they actually open up the offense? And to be honest, they didn't really open up the offense. What they did is they utilized a lot of short things, short passes, and let the athletes do work. And I guess to some extent, for getting people's feet wet, especially against a Patriots staff that knows how to operate against a former Patriots coach, um, it made some sense. And they got athletes in space and they scored a few points. Uh, the Patriots, honestly, I wanted to know how the secondary played without Gilmore. And to be honest, same old Patriots. The difference was they couldn't do that that usual lockdown uh, thing that they do with Gilmore, allowing them to be more multiple. But the Patriots were the Patriots. My final score prediction on this one was 20, Pats 25, Dolphins 20. It was actually Dolphins 17, Pats 16. 
uh, late fumble kind of took the opportunity for the Pats to win this game away. Um, the line was the Pats by three. You know, I had the Pats barely. So, and I had a confidence of five on this. The Dolphins ended up winning. So, you know, it was one where I'm like, stay away unless I have like seven or more, especially eight, nine, or 10 on my confidence on these. Uh, same thing with the over under. I had a four as a confidence out of 10. That 43.5, my score had the over. But I told you on the last pod, I wasn't comfortable with it. 33 was their total points. As far as the game, let's get into de- into their quarterback, the guy who won the job in the preseason, week one starter. I want to talk about Mac Jones. Mac Jones did exactly what I expected him to do in this game. He was efficient. He was effective. His total QBR said that. I think he had like a 74, which is really good. Mac Jones is that guy. He's going to do everything that Bill Belichick wants him to do. Mac Jones also showed me early in the game that Mac Jones is Mac Jones. He was getting blitzed. Pressure was on him. John U. Smith's behind him. This man did something that kids in junior high should never do. He goes, ah, and tries to throw the ball backwards to John, to John U. Smith. Moronic. Like, don't do that. Ever. Take the sack. <laughs> Other than that, he played a great game, but that's what that's what Mac Jones is going to be. He's going to do everything right, especially when things are clean. They get a little muddy or you need them. I don't have faith in him yet because I've never seen Mac Jones show up in a big moment because he hasn't had to. So, I hope he does because, you know, seems like a nice enough guy. Uh, But I have no proof of it yet. So, that's what I got from this game. I I watched that in this this next game more intently than the last two. Because one was personal to me and this one that I just discussed was one that I thought I needed to focus on. So, the one that was personal to me was the Green Bay Packers at the New Orleans Saints at Jacksonville. So, I'm going to go over the prediction and the stats on the betting first. So my final score prediction, I actually had the Packers pulling this one off 24-21. Um, final score was 38-3 Saints. They dominated this. The line was four points. I said the Saints would cover. I put two on it. And the reason I put two, I said it on a show. I had a friend reach out to me before this game and say, hey, should I put a bunch of money on the Packers? I said, you stay so far away from this game and the betting odds on it that you, it shouldn't even be on your timeline. Because... This was my upset special of the week when they were in New Orleans. I thought the Saints would pull that one out by seven in New Orleans. Them going to Jacksonville, I had no clue how those players would respond. So I said, stay away from it. Um, The over-under, I put the under. uh, It was 50 points. Ended up being 41 uh, as over-under. I had a five on that. Again, nothing I would tell you to bet on, but that's what my my final score said uh, as far as the thing goes. Um, You know, the X-Factors. Green Bay, can you protect Rodgers? The answer was an emphatic no. Saints, how would you manage Taysom Hill? That was my X factor. Extremely well. They did not use him often because Taysom Hill should not be used as often as he's had to been used in the past because of some of Drew Brees' deficiencies physically. Um, now I want to get into the game recap because I want to talk about some stuff here and I want to get on some people's necks. So I want to try to understand what feels like illogical thoughts on Jameis Winston based on the assertions I've heard from multiple people, pundits, people who are paid, people who are unpaid, fans, all this stuff. So I'm going to go in order. So the big aversion you had to Jameis Winston is you said that he was an issue because he's a turnover machine. But not only did he not turn the ball over in that first game, which I expected to be very muted from an explosive offense standpoint, but he had five touchdowns. So, okay. The next thing that was said 
because it's a chain of thought here. Well, you know, I mean, he only had 148 yards of passing on those five touchdowns. Again, five touchdowns. Some people were saying not impressive because of the amount of yards. So, okay. When people would defend that, even though he threw 30 interceptions in 2019, he also had 5,000 passing yards. Think 5,100 and 33 touchdowns. The last time he was a starter wasn't impressive because of all the turnovers. Yet you discredit the five touchdowns with no interceptions because he didn't have enough passing yards. That's stupid. It's stupid. It's moronic. Because to be honest, you should just let the machines tell you how well he played. Because I've been told by people, well, he didn't do things right. Jameis Winston made right decisions on virtually every play in that game. I watched that game intently. And he was a better quarterback in that game than Drew Brees was at any point last year. That's what the eye test told me. You know what the machines told me? That I was right. Because he had the second best total QBR of 92.5, which is sensational. The only other guy this week that had a better total QBR was the guy that I told you the Saints should probably hold on to prior to Jameis Winston's existence. That's Teddy Bridgewater at a 95.7. But never mind. You don't want to believe guys like me who actually look at the games and might know what they're talking about. Trust the machines. The machines tell me that Jameis Winston balled out. And you should just be excited, Saints fans, and some other people just eat crow and just admit you're wrong. You're wrong. Sean Payton's not going to let this dude fail. He saw a talented person who he could help. And he so far is proving things that I thought would happen. It's gone better and it's only one week. But to me, this is the season. He's not going to have a 92.5 total QBR the whole season. But guess what he's going to do? Play really well and give the Saints offense a chance to expand, open up, have over-the-top shots. And honestly, the full complement of the playbook can be run. Because to be honest, the thing that held the Saints back from winning the Super Bowl the last couple of years, he's our GOAT. This dude did special things for us, but Drew Brees' arm was the reason we couldn't go win Super Bowls. Period. I watched that Tampa Bay Bucks playoff game. For you Bucks fans, maybe you need to go rewatch it. I'll sit down and watch it with you and tell you how wrong you are because the Saints were giving the business to you all. Up double digits. Jared Cook had a tender arm. And then Drew Brees, they realized, can't throw the ball too far, so they just pressed up and no one except for maybe a single safety was back further than seven yards. So anyway, we're going to move on to the one o'clock slate of games. The Jacksonville Jaguars travel to the Houston to play the Texans. So we're going to start with the prediction. I actually had the Texans in a close one. I thought it'd be a toss up, but I didn't know why people were so high on the Jaguars. Some people even said they might go to the playoffs, which I, I said it on the last pod. They have a better chance of a top three pick than to sniff the playoffs. So I had the Texans winning 24-23. The final score was a beatdown, 37-16, to 16, Texans. So the Jags were favored. I said the Texans here had a confidence of, I believe, seven on it. And the Texans covered pretty easily. I'm sorry. Was it 23 to... Whatever the score was, maybe I got the score wrong in my write-down. My apologies. But either way, the Texans dumb-chucked them. Uh, the over-under, I picked the over, but I didn't have confidence. The over-under was 45.5. It was 58 as total points. I only put a three in confidence on it because I'm like, look, you have two rookie head coaches. You have one team that I didn't think was going to be as organized as they should be in Jacksonville. You had another team that I thought would be more muted in how they approach stuff with vets on the Texans side. But apparently David Culley and his staff said, we know 
that we have a better team right now than them. And they went out and they gave the business out. And by the way, let's go ahead and look at the X factors. The Jaguars, are they able to get pressure? That was my X factor and their key to victory. The answer was no. You know why? Because the Texans did what I said to do. Will they let Tyrod Taylor cook? And they let that young man go out and finally show. You think he's a dink and dunk guy? You think he's this and that? Guess what Tyrod Taylor has been? Tyrod Taylor has done exactly what Tom Brady has done all the time. And I'm not calling him Tom Brady. What I'm saying is he did his job. Every time you asked him, Bills fans, remember this. Tyrod Taylor got you to the playoffs a few years back. Yeah, they lost, but guess what? That team should have gone to the Super Bowl, but they got hosed in the AFC Championship in those Jacksonville Jaguars that year. So, the recap on this game is just honestly, this might be a long season for the Jags, and I actually feel sorry for Trevor Lawrence, who looked better later in the game in some respects. I think he had to learn, and honestly, what he's learning is, hey, I've had it easy virtually my whole life. That's not an insult to him. He just has. He's always had the best offered to him. And now he's learning, hey, I can't just use my arm to get over the top of this cover too because these guys are really good in the NFL. I have faith that he will because the dude is uber talented. I just know that the last three big games I saw Trevor Lawrence play in, two quarterbacks were better than him, Joe Burrow and Justin Fields, because they had more adversity than he's had. He's going to face adversity this year, and it's going to make him better for it. And I have faith that he's going to be an excellent quarterback in the NFL. And hopefully, Urban Meyer allows him to survive because they did not protect that young man, and they need to. Next game is the New York Jets uh, traveling to Carolina. Charlotte playing against the Carolina Panthers. So we're going to go with the final score prediction. I had the Panthers winning this one 28-26. Uh, they actually won 19 of 14. Now, what did that mean? With that four-point spread, the Jets didn't cover. The Panthers, I mean, uh, uh, excuse me, <clears throat> the Jets didn't cover. The Panthers covered. Okay, I only had a five on this one because, to be honest, I know I didn't know how this was going to go. Didn't have a lot of confidence in it. Again, I'm not recommending you bet on every game that I talk about. I do recommend certain bets, and one of the ones where I'm going to apologize is I have the over/under on that 44 as an over and I had a lot of confidence in it with an eight it ended up being 33 total points here's what I saw from that game and I'm gonna start with the x factors first what I said from last show how does the secondary for the Jets play the answer was not that well but not too poorly for the Panthers do they fall victim to their offensive hubris and to be honest they did here's what I saw from that game the quarterback play on both sides was atrocious in my opinion you know, former Jets quarterback Sam Darnold had a total QBR 47.1. Average is 50. So it's like, oh, he played average. Okay, I'll get to that. While Zach Wilson had a total QBR 28.7. That's horrendous. But you know who played better quarterback in that game, in my opinion? Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson played better because guess what? Zach Wilson's first start. Zach Wilson had the less, less talented team. Zach Wilson had the rookie head coach. And he got better during that game. Late in the game, he looked more comfortable. Do I think he's going to be this world beater? No, I don't feel like Tony Romo. But what I feel like is the Jets got it right, letting go of Sam Darnold and getting this young man for their team. Because how do you have the superior offensive weapons, the superior offensive scheme, and you look terrible? He didn't look good. So anyway, that's my takeaway from this game. Jets fans, be happy because you got it right. The Jets... In my opinion, when it happened, got it wrong, taking Sam Darnold at three, number three overall. But you know what? 
Zach Wilson, not only way more talented, I think he's going to be a, a pretty doggone good, a Pro Bowl caliber quarterback, just not on that Mahomes level. They got to stop that. Tony Romo, stop telling people lies. He's not going to be Mahomes. That's just, st- come on, stop. Quit. All right. Next up is the Los Angeles Chargers. They traveled out to D.C. to play against the Washington football team. I guess it's in Virginia. Honestly, I don't know where the stadium is, but it makes sense that it's probably in Virginia or someplace random and not in D.C. Um, As far as the prediction on this one, I had the Chargers 20, football team 17. Well, the final score was the Chargers 20, football team 16. The line on this was even. I had a pretty good confidence at a 7 that the Chargers were covered, and they did, winning the game outright. Same with the over-under. I had a 7 confidence on this that it would be under that 44.5, and it ended up being under at 36. Just felt like this was going to be two good defenses against a young coaching staff on the Chargers side and Ryan Fitzpatrick on the other side. So, the keys to victory for both teams. Chargers, how do they manage or handle the pressure for Washington? And honestly, they did it well. Early on, they were trying to get the ball out of his hands quickly, and then they were able to get into their full offense. I like how they did it. They utilized Mike Williams a lot more in this game than I thought they would, so kudos to them. Football team, limiting Ryan Fitzpatrick from being Fitztragic. He didn't get a chance to be Fitztragic. He was Fitz mediocre and then got hurt. And that sucks for him at his age, getting that type of injury. His career is likely over. I hope he does not try to come back because I didn't think he was going to be good prior to the injury. But now, man, just go get healthy and go do something else. Be on TV as an announcer. Do something in the coaching. Whatever you want to do, you're highly intelligent. Go do something else. Stop trying to play NFL quarterback. Let the let these young men do the job. So as far as like the recap, honestly, what I saw is that I'll apologize for this and get it over with. And it's part of an adjustment I had to make to my eval. I didn't have a lot of faith in Justin Herbert coming out because I didn't see him show up too much in the big moments. And I didn't see the dog in him. The only game I saw him have a little dog in him was the final college game he played against Wisconsin, where he, lo and behold, used the fact that he's athletic and ran the ball. I always knew that he had a pretty, pretty throwing motion and he could make the ball go wherever he wanted to. But again, I'm a big big, big fan of not falling in love with the shirt and short Olympics. That's what he was to me. He's proven me wrong. That boy is balling. Good for you, young man. And I wish you nothing but good luck because, again, you're highly intelligent and seem like a good guy. So I'll admit that I'm wrong on that. I wish more people would admit that they're wrong on stuff and make themselves better off of why they were wrong. So the next game is the Seattle Seahawks traveling to play against the Indianapolis Colts. You know, in this game, I did have faith in the Seahawks to win it, but I thought that the Colts would actually utilize the run game a little more than they did in this one. So I had the final score, Seattle 24-20. The final score is 28-16. You know, I had Seattle covering that that two and a half point line um, and they covered it easily. Uh, The over-under, I had an under on that 50 points, but to be honest, I didn't have a lot of faith in it because I didn't know how it was going to be managed. I thought there could be an offensive explosion from Seattle especially if the Colts got that run game going. But Seattle's front seven did an excellent job against them. So the under did cover, but I didn't have a lot of faith and I only gave it a full. So as far as the X factors in this game, you know, the Colts, would they stay patient? Because Seattle wouldn't. And the Colts did try to stay patient, but it didn't help. Uh, Can they effectively stop the run was my question about Seattle. And part of it, is Seattle did effectively stop the run. They did a good job in the run game. The note on this one, honestly, is just 
my preseason pick, and I put it on wax, was Seattle going to the Super Bowl. And some people laughed at me. I think the NFC West is going to dominate the playoffs this upcoming season. I have San Francisco losing at Seattle in the NFC Championship. And then I have Seattle going to lose to the Kansas City Chiefs. But I have a lot of faith in this team. They have Russell Wilson. And they've improved on the defensive side of the ball. So this is what I thought would happen. And Carson Wentz is still Carson Wentz. Look, we all see the talent. I comped Trevor Lawrence to Carson Wentz, but with more talent. If I'm copying him to, Car- to Carson Wentz, and Trevor Lawrence, I think, is going to be an excellent quarterback, I clearly know that Carson Wentz has talent. I just don't think Carson Wentz is a good quarterback. I think he makes awful decisions. I think he processes too slow. And that's not an intelligence thing. It's a, I think I can get more. Man, sometimes just get what you can get. Get out. <laughs> so he plays too much hero ball. He's got to get that out of his system because his body will not hold up trying to play that hero ball. On to the next game. So we have the Arizona Cardinals traveling to play in Nashville against the Tennessee Titans. And look, (laughs) when I get into the recap, we're going to get into it. But the final score prediction I have was 34-27 Titans. Okay. Final score was Cardinals 38, Titans 13. So I'm super wrong on this one. Um, (laughs) The line was Titans uh, minus three. So I had a little confidence with this. Um, and I'll explain why in a second. But clearly the Titans didn't cover. So I'm sorry if you uh, took that bet. Uh, that's on me. I had the over-under at a nine confidence. I had a lot of confidence that this over-under would happen. Uh, 52. It came in at 51, so the under hit. So again, my apologies. I thought this would be more of an offensive affair. But ugh. Um, as far as the Cardinals... Their X factor would would, would would the cornerbacks hold up? And to some extent they did. But honestly, did they have to? <laughs> and then the Titans don't force the ball or the issue to Julio Jones. And they didn't. But again, really, did they get the chance to? Look, early in the season, one of my things, I think it was on a week side Wednesday uh, last week, was basically. Take a long shot bet on Chandler Jones being the defensive player of the year. It's plus 4,000. Man, oh man, he's out to a good start. That number's not going to exist anymore. uh, Because Chandler Jones had five sacks, including three in the first quarter. And shout out to Taylor Lewan for owning the fact that he got his tail kicked. Because listen, I mean, it might feel easy to you that, oh, he just needs to go out and say it. Man, it's not easy because I think this dude legitimately went something's wrong I gotta fix it it wasn't one of those tongue-in-cheek things I think he goes damn I gotta fix something and yes he played against a dude who honestly has been a beast pass rusher for the last several seasons since he's left the Patriots he's one of those dudes that got better from leaving the Patriots sometimes dudes leave the Patriots to go get big contracts somewhere else and they don't do well and it was actually the Patriots scheme making them look good Chandler Jones left under the terms that he left under and he's shown that, no, I just wasn't as utilized as I could have been. So shout out to Taylor Lewan for saying that. But shout out to Chandler Jones for being a beast. That was the problem in his game. You know, people who drafted Ryan Tannehill, I'm going to say it here and I'm going to say it on the fantasy show on Friday. But, man, owners who are panicking, go get yourself a little. You can get a, you can get a, you can probably get a bum trade and go get yourself this Ryan Tannehill. Because they're going to fix what was going on with Taylor Lewan, whether it's moving some pieces around doing something about it but two things number one he won't have to see Chandler Jones again this year 
unless he gets traded. Number two, they don't have a lot of dominant pass rushers in that in that uh, in that particular division, um, and their schedule doesn't have a lot. So maybe he won't get his tail kicked as much as he did in this game. I have faith in what the Titans can do this upcoming week and in the for the rest of the season. So the San Francisco 49ers went to Detroit in the next game. And so this one, if you, I didn't see the whole thing. I actually ignored it early on until it started to get wacky. And then I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, I had the final score in this one, 31 to 15 49ers. And I said, you know, the 49ers would probably dominate this game. The, clo- the, the score is closer in my prediction than I expected to be. But I believe that season long and even in this game, because of the coaching staff they have there and the culture they're trying to build, that those dudes will fight. And the final score shows me that those dudes will fight. San Francisco 41-33. I think they were up 38 to 10 at one point. And late in the game, they were up 41 to set. Was it 41 to 16, 17 or something like that? I think 41-17. They were up. Like with like two minutes left in the game, or two minutes and 50 seconds. And then wackiness ensued to the point where they almost came back to tie the game <laughs> so the at the time that i recommended it, the betting odds or the line was minus seven and a half for san francisco i had 10 on this i'm like this is my stone cold lock of the week like they will cover no matter what and it looked like it was going to be an easy 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 cover but they just barely covered by a hook by a half point 49ers by eight it's insane um the over under on this was 45. I took the over and my rationale on it, even though I didn't have a lot of confidence, my rationale was I think the 49ers can put up a bunch of points but they might shut it down. So it's not like I have a lot of confidence. Well, I guess I was right but not for the right reasons. The highest uh, total game score of 74 in this particular one, they easily beat the over-under by 29 points. I, that's, for me, a record. I can't remember seeing anything like that. As far as X-Factors, 49ers, don't get too cute early on. And they actually didn't. They ran kind of their compliments. Yes, they brought in a little Trey Lance, stuff like that. But that's not cute to me. What's cute to me is, oh, well, we can do anything on this team. The 49ers offensive scheme is quote unquote cute compared to some other people. To me, it's not quote unquote cute when you use misdirection and use people against them. What I meant is doing stuff like reverse passes. That's not part of their compliment. Um, Flea flickers. That's not really part of their compliment. That's what I meant by cute. They didn't do that. Uh, the Lions, YOLO early. Clearly they went YOLO late, but I thought that was the way that they could impact the 49ers. They just stayed in their lane and kept fighting. So like I said, kudos to them. Look, this game played out kind of the way, at least like mentally, I expect this game and season to play out. On the D- Detroit side, they kept fighting. I think they will keep fighting. And I actually like the offensive weapons on the Detroit side of the ball. Granted, they seem like they're not going to use their wide receivers, but I like Jamal Williams as a compliment back. I like DeAndre Swift because if you looked at him run, DeAndre Swift is that dude. He was the best running back coming out that year out of college, even though he was treated as if he was just another running back. I like Hawkinson. My biggest issue with Hawkinson is that people have called him Gronkowski. He's not a walk-in first ballot Hall of Famer. Just call him, you know, really good. <laughs> so can he just be really good? Or even I'll deal with Gronk light. Because he's not Gronk. So let's stop it. Um, and the 49ers, unfortunately, part of the reason that I don't have as much faith in them as I do in a team like, let's say, Seattle, or even at this point, the Rams, I don't know what's wrong 
I'm not blaming their training staff. Maybe they have a black cloud hanging over them. But man, oh man, do they get injured. Raheem Mostert, that poor guy, this dude averages seven yards a carry, it seems like, but can't get 100 carries in a season. That poor guy's body. I feel so bad for him because he didn't get chances early on. And when he finally, finally got chances, his body failed him. And a Jason Barrett, same thing. Week one, you already have two dudes who had season-ending injuries. So that was the 49ers story last year. Hopefully, it's not their story this year. I hate injuries happening to any team and anyone, even guys that I don't particularly support. You know I pick on Baker Mayfield, but I would never want that dude to get injured because all that dude is doing is going out there and trying to play ball. Um, I don't believe in or root for injuries, and I don't believe in people who do root for injuries, and ones who cheer injuries are even more pathetic. So let's move on to the next game. Um, the Minnesota Vikings versus the Fighting Joe Burrows, uh, the new Bayou Bengals, uh, and Cincinnati. So the final score prediction I had on this one, I had the Vikings actually winning this one, 31-21. And so before I get into this, I'm going to go ahead and apologize. I still feel good about part of what I said, but I will apologize at this point about a second portion of it. I don't have faith in the infrastructure in Cincinnati at the very top level. I don't have faith when you are refusing to spend money to make sure things are better for your team. That's been a consistent thing for that organization for years. I think they were the last team left without like, and living and being in the North, like an indoor practice facility. Like they just didn't want to spend money. And the NFL has revenue sharing. So we don't want to get into the, the X's and O's on the money side of that, but I don't have faith there. What I will do is apologize to Zach Taylor and his coaching staff. Some of the things I saw last year really bothered me, but I forget, he's a young head coach. Some of the things I saw in the preseason really bothered me, but again, that's preseason. It's only one week, but like I said, I'm willing to admit when, even if I'm not fully wrong, I'll admit or apologize when I did something wrong, and I thought that this was an in shambles situation. It looks to at least be past competent. It looks to possibly be good, so... My apologies to Zach Taylor and the rest of the staff on this particular one. But the final score, again, I had the Vikings winning this one by 10, but the final score was the Bengals 27 to 24. And honestly, the Bengals controlled most of this game. Um, the Vikings were just able to make a comeback uh, kind of late. So obviously, the Vikings didn't uh, cover. I had some faith in them. I had a lot of faith, in fact, and it didn't happen. The Bengals covered um, the over-under. I had the over, that 47.5, so hopefully I made up for it with the over hitting in this particular matchup. Now, my X-Factors actually came into play a lot in this game. Uh, the Vikings, can they get pressure with just four? And honestly, for most of the game, they didn't. They started to a little bit late, and that's kind of part of why they got back in the game, but they couldn't, you know? Um, and then for the Bengals, is Joe Burrow healthy? I'll say this, he's healthy enough right now. He's healthier looking than I thought he looked but you could still tell there's still some issues there probably part of it physical probably part of it mental but that's a tough dude I have a lot of faith in him again for those who don't know since 2016 my four highest graded quarterbacks coming out of college in order of four to one was Trevor Lawrence at 88 Patrick Mahomes at 89 Joe Burrow with a 90 and Deshaun Watson with a 91. I have a lot of faith in this guy. I believe in him because my biggest thing for a quarterback, I believe he shows up and shows out in big moments. And again, 
Big Game Joe did what he does on a fourth down. So um, I'm hoping he gets fully healthy. And that Jamar Chase pick, listen, Panesu will play well this week. Also, I forgot to mention in the last game, he's starting to get his feet under him. But I think the better pick for this team was the guy they got in Jamar Chase because that connection's special. It was special at LSU. There's a reason that Joe Burrow wanted him there. Um, I don't think it would have been a special without him. And I don't think they win this game with Sewell being in there and without Jamar Chase on the roster. That's just my personal opinion. So the recap here, I think the Vikings will be fine to be a competitive team. But what I'm seeing is a lot of uh, issues with that, the communication on the line. Um, I think they can get that cleaned up. Uh, Delvin Cook, got to hold on to the ball, man. That's been, a, that's been an issue with you since college. And don't at me. This is not me saying you're not an excellent running back. I think you're a top at least five, probably three running back in the NFL, but he fumbles. You know, when I did my fantasy football projections, he had a 3.2 for his season of losing fumbles. The highest of any person, any player. So it's just one of those things where it's like, okay, you gotta you gotta stop doing it. The game ended up turning on you fumbling in overtime. So you gotta stop doing it. And the Bengals. My first before the preseason, I had them winning six games, and now I went to three games. Now I have a little more faith in them. I think they can be competitive in a lot of games this year. So coming up with the, the last two games of the 1 p.m. slate, you have the Pittsburgh Steelers at the Buffalo Bills. So my prediction in this one was the Steelers, I mean the, the, the Bills winning 24-20. The final score was 23-20, but it was Steelers. And because of that, I didn't like, and I said it last week, I'll say it again. I did not like that spread. I do not like Buffalo being this amazing team that people think this year. And that spread felt uncomfortable to me. And that was the reason why I said, take it. The over-under, I thought that it would be the under. 48.5 sounded too high for a team in a game where I knew that the Steelers were not going to let this get out of hand. And they did not. This game was a muted game played between the 30s. As far as my X factors, um, Steelers take chances downfield. They didn't take many, but it also felt like they didn't have to because they controlled a lot on defense. And once they realized they can control things on defense, they didn't have to take that type of situa- situation. And for the the Bills, it was to be patient on offense. I'm concerned with what I saw because I think that they just. They're trying to treat Josh Allen like he's Lamar Jackson, and that's no slight, but Josh Allen has less experience being treated like that. And even though he's capable from a physical standpoint, don't do it to him. Like Josh Allen, and I've said this before, he's Cam Newton light from when Cam Newton first came out. The big physical guy can throw a ball downfield. He can win you games with his arm. And for people who forgot, Cam Newton started his career with two back-to-back 400-yard passing games. So it's not like he couldn't throw the ball. It's just that he never had a Stephon Diggs. But let's not get into that. And for Josh Allen, I have to say this all the time because people, I'll say it and get it out of the way. People think I don't like white quarterbacks. That's just stupid. I don't like white mediocre quarterbacks being treated like they're great. I like Josh Allen because that dude will put his body on the line. I just thought that he was being overvalued by the tape, but not by the physical skill set. His tape was some of the worst tape I watched on a physically gifted quarterback. It reminded me of, for those who are familiar with them, Felipe Franks, except worse. 
So that's my whole thing on Josh Allen. And listen, the level of confidence, again, I'm going off the rails a little bit here, but the level of confidence that people seem to have with quarterbacks that look like Josh Allen over quarterbacks that look like myself, for those who have never seen my face, I just happen to be an African-American male. I'm a black male. Um, This man never had a good season until last year in his whole career. Last season, he balled out, and kudos to him. And do I think he's going to continue to ball out compared to his prior tape? Yeah. Do I think last year was like something that he's going to do again consistently? Absolutely not. Because it was excellent. Dudes who have done it more often than him don't repeat that. (laughs) So, no. And a lot of what he did, and and I'm going to harp on something right now. There's a gentleman, um, former NFL quarterback, last name Sims, who had Josh Allen in the top three of his quarterbacks, and he said he struggled to put him at two. And even, I I might get this wrong, said that there's a chance that he could put him at one. I'm going to assume that you were making that judgment and had Jalen Hurts not even in his top 40, but that's another story for another day. I think one of the errors that he's making and that a lot of people make is they fall in love with the shirt and short Olympics, what a guy can do there, than what a guy actually does on the field. Because his whole thing was his reads, his keys, all this stuff. We watch different tape. Because Josh Allen's most successful thing last year was what some people pan Lamar Jackson were doing. It was when the blitz or the rush, because he was number, I think he was either number one or number two in the NFL against the blitz. Came, made a guy miss. Wide open wide receiver. By five or six yards, he threw the ball to and hit. I'm not saying that's easy. I'm saying that's what you're supposed to do. But when it came time for him to actually read, put things together, especially late in games, he panicked. To me, that's not a good quarterback, right? Okay? It happened few and far between because they were putting up points so much, so often that people missed it. So, much like I have to learn to be better with my evals, I would recommend to him and other people who want to say Josh Allen is this guy, start putting a little more faith into the thing that truly matters about playing quarterback, and it's never, ever, 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 ever been your physical ability. That just gives you a higher ceiling. It's not even been accuracy because that's what's more commonplacely necessary, but it's not actually the thing. It's will you show up when your team needs you? Those are the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Go look at their resumes of when Tom Brady isn't great because Tom Brady is the smartest guy on the planet or because Tom Brady has the biggest arm or even the most accurate. Tom Brady, nine times out of 10, in fact, I would go with 99 times out of 100, will show up when you need him. Russell Wilson will do that. Patrick Mahomes will do that. Aaron Rodgers will do that. Maybe not this year, but in general. You go look at those other dudes who have these high peak seasons and fall off. The Josh Allens of the world. Hopefully I'm wrong on him, but instead of giving so much credit, give it where it's really due to those dudes who show up when you need them, not because they put up big stats all the time. As far as the last Sunday game, I just mentioned him. The fighting Jalen Hurts of the Philadelphia Eagles went to play in Atlanta. And what did they do in Atlanta? Look, I had the Eagles winning this one. And I had a lot of confidence on this. But I only had the final scores 26 to 23. But the Eagles bludgeoned them 32 to 6. And I think that has a lot to do with the Eagles being a good team. And I said they were a dark horse type. I have them coming in second in the division to Dallas. But I, I said I could easily see them winning this division. And they would not top 
my whole thing was they were not picking the top 10. And my bold prediction of the year was they would have a better record than the Indianapolis Colts. And I feel really good about that right now. Uh, as far as the betting line, again, the, the Falcons were favored by three. I thought that was egregious because I thought the Eagles would win this game um, straight up. So I had an eight as confidence on this. As far as the over-under, was, it was 48.5. I said the over, but I said no confidence in this because I don't know if these young head coaches, again, two first-year head coaches, there's mistakes that can be made, there's errors, and I know that the way that the Falcons would win this game if they could would be to grind it out, run the ball, and eliminate the clock. And to some extent, I was right. Even though the, the score said the over, only by 0.5 points. So that's why I didn't have a lot of confidence. I think I put a three on it, maybe a four. Uh, was where you should, you, you shouldn't bet this one. And it was 38 points. So the under hit, that was part of my concern. As far as the X factors here, Falcons control the clock and the tempo. They could not because they couldn't do anything. That Eagles defense was better than I expected. Maybe the Falcons offense is just playing bad. Far the Eagles, let Jalen Hurts be Jalen Hurts, and he did that. Listen, I just talked about it with the last guy. For the Chris Sims of the world, you didn't have him in your top 40 quarterbacks because he makes some off throws. He doesn't look the, the, the part as far as like a guy who sits in the pocket and throws the ball with certain conviction in certain places. Here's what I'm going to tell you. Start paying more attention to the moments that matter. People continuously forget this man is a true freshman when he came into Alabama at 17 years old, went toe-to-toe in a national championship with Deshaun Watson and Clemson. And if it wasn't for Deshaun Watson and Hunter Renfro scoring within the last 10 seconds, they win a national championship in a year when he's SEC uh, Offensive Player of the Year. Then the next year, they get a national championship. People forget this. Everyone's like, he couldn't throw the ball, he couldn't throw the ball, he couldn't throw the ball. He had issues throwing the ball, but guess who his... Guess who was on the other side of the field? The former defensive coordinator who worked against him last year. He knew everything about Jalen Hurts. They did everything against Jalen Hurts that Jalen Hurts, they put him in a position to make him fail. And that's part of why Tua, who came in the game and almost immediately threw a pick, the linebacker got hit in the chest and forgot how to catch, was able to do a better job. He goes to Oklahoma, comes in second in the Heisman voting, and balls out. He didn't look like Kyler Murray because he's not Kyler Murray. He didn't look like Baker Mayfield because he's not Baker Mayfield. He looked like Jalen Hurts and Lincoln Riley, I think, gave him. And then hopefully, it seems like some GMs, like Howie Roseman, confidence that he could be a quarterback in the NFL. I never lost confidence because I think it's... I'm going to say something that's going to sound completely ridiculous. From what matters, especially to me, Jalen Hurts is a better quarterback than Josh Allen difference is Josh Allen could probably become better because he has better physical tools than Jalen Hurts and I actually hope he does because I like Josh Allen but I'm just tired of people discounting Jalen Hurts because it doesn't look the way you want it to look your opinion doesn't matter if you're missing the point and I'm not missing the point on that young man as far as the last game it was the first game on the whole NFL slate and it was a great game for you all and for me see I live in Tampa Florida it was a buzz Everyone was happy. My my friends were happy because they're Bucks fans. Until they were happy with the result, but they weren't happy with me because my prediction on the game was Bucks 27, Cowboys 24, and I was called all sorts of things that are negative that I will not say on this podcast. Not by my friends because we wouldn't be friends if they did that. They just said, man, you tripping. Final score was Bucks 31-29, and a last-second field goal is the reason they won that game because Tom Brady did Tom Brady things late in that game 
after Dak Prescott did Dak Prescott things in that game. As far as the line, again, egregious line in my opinion based on the setup of both teams. Eight and a half was far too high. Uh, the Bucks only covered by two. I had a lot of confidence in this one. I had the Cowboys with a confidence level of seven in this one. I just felt like it was too high of a line considering the matchup was actually a good one for the Cowboys against the Bucks. That secondary is not nearly as good as you want to say it is, folks. I love Antoine Winfield Jr. I think Carlton Davis is a damn good corner. But the other dude, like, even Carlton Davis, like, you can't match up. CeeDee Lamb is better. CeeDee Lamb and Amari Cooper are better than you. That's not shade or slight. They're really good. And you're obviously excellent football players since you're in the NFL. But it's just a bad matchup. As far as the over-under, I said the under by my score here. Actually, I had to correct it. No, the half point. So my over-under was 51. The over-under was 51.5. My final score was 51. So I had the under, but with three, because I said this could go and be an explosive game. And it kind of was. 60 points. So I, I wasn't confident in my under. It was just the final score prediction that my model kept putting out. As far as the keys to victory in this one, the Bucks cornerbacks were my thing to look out for. And yeah, that's what happened. They were getting, getting toasted. That Prescott gave them the business. And the biggest issue I had with the Cowboys was, was Dak's arm fine? If not an issue, it was just I had no clue if it was going to be fine. So the recap in this game was, man, for you folks who think Dak Prescott isn't that dude, even coming out while he was my number one quarterback in that 2016 draft, I didn't think he was this level of that dude. But same thing with Jalen Hurts. People forget. Do y'all do y'all think Mississippi State has been a powerhouse forever? And they were number one in the country. And I think they lost to Alabama. And this is off the top of the dome. I think it was 25-19, I think, 25-20, I think, that, the, the Bama, that Bama beat Mississippi State that year when they were number one. And I think Ole Miss was in the top uh, three also. Uh, at that point but Mississippi State 9-0 Mississippi State this dude had him there how the heck did he go in the fourth round but you had two dudes who honestly you're calling one dude a bum and Jared Goff who I didn't think was a bum he was to me Sam Bradford which is a good NFL quarterback and to me Carson Wentz who I was like well he's good but he's not special like y'all are saying and that's why I thought he was, I thought Dak Prescott was better he shows up in the big moments so anyway start giving Dak his credit and as far as Tom Brady, Tom's not cooked, but Tom is cooked light. He can't do nearly the things he used to do, even last season, physically. But if the Bucks keep things close, I can't bet against a dude who shows up when you need him to. That was part of the reason Drew Brees kept his job, is because, for the most part, he showed up when you needed him to, because above the neck, these dudes are stellar. But sometimes your body starts to fail you. So I don't have faith in the Bucks this year to get back to the Super Bowl because that NFC West all can get interior pressure on him. And if he gets interior pressure, Tom Brady is awful because his body isn't what it used to be. Not his mind. Not his mind. So, all right, folks, that's the end of the, the show. I know I went a little off the rails, but listen, I care about this football thing. I care about a lot of things. I care about how black quarterbacks still to this day are looked at and treated. And again, Here's my thing. It's called a litmus test. Whatever you can say about one person, if you can't apply it to your quote-unquote opposition or another person who you like, then maybe you're the problem and maybe the commentary is the problem. So keep that in mind, folks. You can follow me on Twitter. It's at CJFlorida9. That's at CJ, the whole state of Florida, and the number nine. Um, I'll be back tomorrow with Turf Talk Thursdays and then Friday. And I'm sorry for last week for not having one out, um, but I felt like we went over a lot of the fantasy stuff on Fantasy Football Fridays. Uh, Take care.
and enjoy the rest of your Wednesday.